Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to another edition of Children of Song, the podcast that explores what it must have been like to grow up surrounded by music. For those of you listening for the first time, we usually speak with musicians whose parents made a name for themselves in the music industry. But today we're doing something a little bit different. In what we'll be calling our Broadway sessions, we're going to spend time with a couple of Broadway stars who remarkably both come from Oklahoma and even more remarkably, both share the same special music teacher. We'll be getting to their story in a moment, but before we do, I'm Charles Isherwood. I'll be the host for this journey down Broadway. And I'm joined by my producer, Brad Newman. Hello, Brad. Hi, Charles. How are you? I'm good today. You know, this is going to be such a cool little hour that we're going to have here because we're going to be talking about teachers. And, you know, on this rainy day in New York, I, I remember a, an old acting teacher that I had. And, and they always said on a rainy day, put an R Write an R on your mirror and circle it because, you know, the audience, we're gonna, they're going to be a little tired, too, because of the rain. And it's to remind you to kind of perk up and get going. But we've got someone very perky on the phone with us. She's known for being quite perky. This is true. She will outperk us all, I'm convinced. <laughs> um, Brad is here to help me on my way and make sure we stay on the right track. Rick Buser is our engineer today. We're bringing this to you from our podcast studios in Midtown Manhattan, which is just a few steps away from the Theater District in New York City. But on the phone joining us from Boston today is one of the most talented people you'll find working on Broadway or indeed elsewhere. She's a Tony Award winner, of course, who's been nominated a total of three times. She's also known for her performance, most singularly perhaps, as Glinda the Good Witch in Wicked, the long-running musical. And also her hilarious turn a few years ago and on the 20th Century, another Tony-nominated performance. Of course, she's now a familiar face on TV as well. She's won an Emmy Award, been nominated for four others. Uh, I particularly have a great fondness for her performances on Glee as a wonderfully bibulous woman. Oh, definitely. Um, and she's, as she was on that television show and elsewhere, one of the funniest performers and funniest women, I think, you could happen to meet. We are so pleased to welcome Kristen Chenoweth to the podcast. Kristen, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for uh, having me, guys. I'm very excited to be here and and to uh, share with you some of my experiences with my mentor. Well, that's terrific. We're looking forward to it. And as you may know, uh, your friend, the fellow Oklahoman and fellow Tony winner, Kelly O'Hara, will be joining us a little later. Do you feel that you were pretty much destined for the stage at an early age? When did music come into your life? I guess the first experience for me that I knew, oh, I can sing, I was I was alone. I was singing um, to my Wizard of Oz record. And I sang it every night before I went to bed. Uh, for some reason, it was calming to me, and I loved it. And My parents came in one night, and they were like, you really do like to sing, and you're really good at it. And I said, I know. <laughs> and they, they said, do you, do you like music? And I said, I love it. I want to take piano and ballet. And, and I just did the normal things, choir and drama in high school. I wasn't like a showbiz kid, but I soaked up whatever I could in my town. And that's kind of how it all began. But my first church solo was when I noticed that there was a little bit of power coming back at me after I finished the audience was standing hmm. and going crazy and I, I thought oh I like this feeling <laughs> I just remember thinking I'm supposed to be a, an artist I'm supposed to be a singer and an actress and and a dancer and all of it and that's when my little I called it my little secret began hmm. really I was about seven and how did you move on from there you've discovered the fact that you know you like to perform, and people like to watch you perform. Um, I had read somewhere that you were a finalist for uh, Annie at one point. 
Yeah, they came through um, Oklahoma, and my Aunt Ginger said, you should go, told my parents. And I went um, for the movie that Carol Burnett and um, Bernadette Peters were in. Right. And I was, I mean, I had no, not very many act, much acting skills, but I could kind of act, too. And they, they brought me in. There was about 5,000 old girls showed up. And they brought me in. I didn't know Little Orphan Annie. I didn't know the songs or the show or anything. And they brought me in, and when I had my turn to sing, I said, well, I don't know Annie. And hmm. they said, well, can you, sing to, can you sing Happy Birthday to the dog? They're, they had a real dog there. I said, yeah. And I sang Happy Birthday to the dog. And I remember the dog lick, licking me and... We were laughing, and I just, you know, I was really little, and laughing, and I said, can I have the dog? (laughs) (laughs) And um, they said, no, but can you come back tomorrow? (laughs) And I said, yeah. And Your first call back. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Went home that night and had to learn maybe and tomorrow, a bunch of sides. My mom is, you know, an engineer, and she's like, I don't know how to teach you this. But I said, let's just get the tape, and I'll learn it off the tape. And I learned it off the tape, and I came in the next day, and the casting director named Garrison True was his name. Um, there were five of us there total. And I was the littlest one, and he said, um, can you go ahead and sing? And I hadn't told anybody there, obviously, then, that I was also adopted just because I just didn't. And hmm. I sang. I sang maybe, and I remember him crying. And then I remember uh, him doing scenes with me, and I remember him really working hard on getting me to not sound like a little hick. <laughs> because I, uh, it was like Sandy, get over here, now Sandy. <laughs> you know, I was talking very much like a little hick, which I was, and um. Basically, he pulled me aside, and he said, I don't know that you're going to get Sandy, Aww. but I know that I know that you're going to be a star one day. Wow. And let me, just, let me just tell you my name. Remember this name. And, you know, at that little t- time, I was a little kid. I didn't really understand. He said, my name's Garrison True. And about 10 months later, I got a letter in the mail basically saying that. And with a necklace that had Annie on it. And I had become friends with one of the little girls that was a fifth finalist, too. And I said, did you get a letter? And and let me see your necklace. And she didn't get one. And I've always thought about her, him. You know, just I get emotional when I think about it. But that was kind of a a moment in my life, you know. It, 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 it's it's one of those moments that uh, some, on a subconscious level keeps you going. I mean, sometimes you, you don't get parts. It propels you in some way. It did. It made me feel like, well, you're, you're doing the right thing. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing, Kristen. And um, how did you decide to go to Oklahoma City University? Um, had you already been aware of Florence Birdwell and her reputation, or was it something you just naturally did, and it was there that you discovered her? I naturally had heard from her, about her through our state, and my dad, he told me, he said, if you want to go to Juilliard, if you want to go to um, anywhere in the world you want to go, I'll figure out a way to make it happen. I get emotional when I think about it, because, <laughs> you know, we didn't have a lot of money. And uh, I said, well, let me go to OCU, because nobody, like, in, at our state, it was either OU or OSU. But I was like, I know OCU is the place for art. And my choir teacher in high school, Larry Thompson, told me about her and that she would be my teacher. He mm-hmm. said, no doubt, you are supposed to be with her. I've told her you're coming, blah, blah, blah. Well, on audition day, um, it was a full weekend of seeing shows there and getting to know the school. And audition day... She was the only one in my room. None of the other teachers were there. And she said, I've requested, I've seen some video of you, and I've requested this to be alone. Hmm. 
Because mm. I'm the one that has the sole power to let you in or not. And my dad was there, and I sang two just completely wrong songs because I didn't know. I sang New York, New York, and I sang Matchmaker from Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, that's a fascinating combination. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, She said, do you have any classical songs? I said, I have one by Edvard Grieg named My Johan. And it was when I sang that, she said, ah, now now I find the real voice. Huh. That's interesting. And then, she took me, mm-hmm, and then she took me to her studio, and she said, you're going to have plenty of highs here and lots of lows. I want, I want to hear about some of those highs and lows, but I want to, I want to bring in Florence a little bit because I, I got to speak okay. with her last week. And, you know, I, I asked her what made her unique as a teacher, and, and this is what she said. Because of my love of it. Mm-hmm. I love of that. I love teaching, and I love music, and I love it all. The word is L-O-V-E. Music helps you live more wonderfully and more beautifully and more fully. That's the greatest thing of all, the joy of becoming a part of music. I cannot even say to you how wonderful that is. And and that really, I know it's it's sort of a simple answer, but you know, but within that answer, you really get to see because the truly great teachers do really love what they do, and they believe it so it's it's so present for them that love, and that's what they sort of transfer to their students. Um, what would you say about that, Kristen? <laughs> well, I'm sort of pulling myself together right now. Um, I would say that that's her. And if she felt that you were not in the moment or you were not loving something or you were not finding a way to communicate it, she would ask you to sit down. She would ask you not to sing again until you could figure it out. Hmm. And some of those tactics were hard for me because I was so sensitive. But I know now that she was a, trying to get toughing me, toughing me up, B, helping me to understand that you don't sing a song just for no reason. I actually asked her about about you, Kristen. Oh, she was adorable. Absolutely, breathtakingly adorable. She was probably my best student. And was there a quality when she walked right in the room that you knew that she had something special? Yes, I knew she had a gift. She has a gift. <laughs> I think Kristen's emotional again, still. perhaps. <laughs> it's still very uh, powerful to hear that from your, from your teacher because my whole life, my whole singing life has been about um, pleasing her. And honestly, if I've had a performance, every performance I've had, I've had her at um, until very recently. And there have been some times where she said, you know, not my favorite. <laughs> you weren't there. You weren't there. You weren't there. Or thought times that she says, I don't know that you'll ever be better. So I trust her with my, with my musical life. And she's usually right. <laughs> and to hear that is, you know, to hear my Florence in that way, that's the way I remember her. Well, and it's important, I think, it's fascinating to me that a teacher would be both that loving and enthusiastic and also be able to uh, deal with you with such honesty. And both of those things are absolutely necessary because, you know, everyone finds, you know, themselves in difficult situations, performances that maybe you're not sure about. And it's nice to have someone you can really trust to tell you both how, you know, when you're really on your game and maybe when you need to do some improving, even at your advanced stage in your career. A few days after this recording, Brad had a chance to speak with the Tony Award winner and six-time nominee, Kelly O'Hara, who also studied with Ms. Birdwell at Oklahoma City University. You know, how would you describe Ms. Birdwell? Because um, she's she's truly unique. Well, unique is a wonderful word. Um, she's life. I mean, you know, she is just 
full of um, zest for life, and she's the most artistic and kind of uh, expressive person I've ever known. And when you grow up in, in Oklahoma, uh, a lot of people aren't always comfortable with that kind of expression. And so to meet her um, at a kind of a very important age for that to come about in my own life, about 18, but to know of her since I was five, um, it changed me in huge ways. And it's it's really the reason I'm here. She She's just extraordinary. And, you know, we do uh, unconsciously, I think, have prejudices in this country in terms of, like, what kind of teaching you can get in certain areas of the country, you know? Mm-hmm. It, you know, you think of Oklahoma City, probably not a hotbed for, for music, and yet at least she was such an institution there. Absolutely, and and accepted. Uh, you know, I think she rubbed people in interesting ways. Some people just felt... Uh, uh, excited by her and in, in inspired by her. Other people wondered what she was about. Other people feared her energy. Uh, you know, in the Bible Belt of Oklahoma, uh, she was a, a person of, of kind of different sort of spirituality, uh, and that was a very unusual thing. Um, I think her her God somehow was, uh, and I'm speaking for her, this is absolutely not her speaking, but my opinion is that her art and her, uh, the, the beauty of the world, the beauty of music, the beauty of self-expression, that was somehow her spirituality. And and to me, just the open door of kind of different ways of thinking was also the open door of, of my heart uh, and and learn, taught me how to express, to how to receive, how to accept in different ways in this world. And to find that in the middle of Oklahoma um, was pretty unusual. And uh, I've, gosh... Like I said, it changed my life. You know, uh, I got a chance to speak with her a couple weeks ago, and I was I was warned by her daughter, who said, you know, she's she's really not hearing very well, and you know, she's she's I mean, she's in her nineties now, and I got to tell you. She connected with me for some reason. I don't know. I was loud on the phone. I, I want to play a little clip because as special as she was, um, let's not uh, think that she wasn't demanding because she could be tough. Well, that sounds right. <laughs> you know, you could be very tough on your students. and Oh, oh you think I'm not? <laughs> Tell me about that. Why do you think you were so tough? Because it's not easy you. You know, for you, it was getting to the truth. You know, you had so many wonderful students, but you would stop them if there was a moment that didn't ring true for you. Why was that such an important aspect to your teaching? Absolutely. Absolutely. You don't sing to make yourself happy. You sing to make the world happy. But you have to feel it and think it and believe in it. Isn't that uh, so refreshing? Because she is tough, but there's so there's so much life there. What does that? I I, I see your eyes glisten as you, <laughs> as you listen to that. I love to hear her voice. Um, one of the best compliments I ever got in my professional life was from my collaborator Bartlett Shear, who I've done four shows with on Broadway, and he said to someone else that I I had a truth meter like he'd never seen, and now you see where it com- comes from. Um, and also, I've been saying recently how. I realize in later in my life why I sing, and it's never been for me. It's been for others. And again, she just said that. Two weeks ago, she said that. So I'm tearing up because it doesn't matter how much time has passed. Um, there's just a, a symbiotic kind of connection. And, and, and the, the importance of truth is just it runs through what I do, and it's really because of her. You know, she thought you were incredibly special, too. Mm. Um, and we would be remiss without uh, playing what she thought of you as a student. What was it about Kelly that made her special? Herself. Just the way she approached things. Not trying to get up and impress anybody. Not trying to convince the audience how good she was. That was never part of it. She had a gift to give, and when she felt comfortable with her giving, with her gift, it took her a while, you know, to really practice, to really get in front of people and not let all the things take take precedence over what she was trying to give. And it was more than just knowing how to sing. It was how to communicate. Mm. <laughs> That's neat, huh? That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, she knows me. Uh, very, very well. And uh, she molded 
so much of who I am. And I think Kristen would say the same thing, but I might have had a little farther to go than Kristen did, and I still do. And so uh, I will always need Mrs. Birdwell. But how important is that for an artist to, to stay humble <laughs> and and really keep their feet on the ground? Because it is so easy. It is the cliche that, you know, the diva, you know, you're anything but a diva. I've, I've watched a lot of, of, of your work, you know, trying to catch up for this interview. And and there is there is such a refreshing way you do communicate on stage. Well, I think what we just said, uh, I I had something I felt like I wanted to share as opposed to prove or give to, you know, it wasn't for me. It's not for me. And so being selfish about it doesn't really make sense to me. Uh, I, you know, if humble is the right word or whatever it is, I mean, I know I'm grateful. And so humility has comes with what you do being for others. Um, I didn't seek it out. It kind of, I, I kind of feel like it, it came to me to want to do this. Um, and I couldn't help it. I mean, otherwise, I probably would have moved all the way across the country from my home and, and from my family. Um, but she really encouraged me to do that. And she really kind of broke down some walls for me to be able to feel like I could. And, um, you know, I'm not a personality. I'm not a character uh, in my real life. Um, I like to play them and I like to be a vessel so that uh, when you watch me, you watch the the story I'm telling and not not the character character uh, caricature of myself you know doing something and um and she really helped me to to find honesty and things like that and, and affect people's lives by what I do and or she she helped me to want to do that so that's what I want to do give us a sense of what it would be like to be in a master class with her and <laughs> and on the uh next to that piano trying to get a couple phrases out that maybe you were not so sure of you know, I was just thinking about, I did a master class, I taught one this weekend up at Middlebury College, and I was thinking of her and how how I could remember, uh, don't think so, she'd yell, don't think so, oh no, you know, or, or she'd, you know, she'd yell, why don't you go sell ribbons at JCPenney's, you know, or she'd say, you're out of here. And then the moments when she'd say, hot dog, you, you knew that you had it, you knew that you made her feel something that day, and uh those were so worth all of the work and the hardship and the the, the difficulty of, of of how strong she was and how powerful. But as opposed to some other teachers, hers wasn't a selfish type of teaching. There was never any malice in it. It was, I know you can do better, and I'm, damn, I'm going to get you there. I'm going to make you go there. But, you know, artists need pushing like oh, yeah. that. Mm-hmm. They do. You can't get there without somebody, without, you know, her trying to impress and getting that hot dog from her <laughs> really pushed you. Yeah. And then and then she'd say hot dog in her big dramatic way, and then it, that would be about her. And then she'd stop and she'd look at you and she'd say, you, you felt it, didn't you? You knew it, didn't you? You know what it is. And then you'd walk out of the room not having just impressed her, but another little inch taller for yourself. So she gave it back to you. Um, Some teachers, you're just doing it for them. And then all of a sudden with her, you realize you were doing it for yourself. Can you share with us a little bit, um, maybe just a couple phrases of where maybe you might have been before Florence and and, and where she gave you that difference? Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, when I came to to OCU, I I had been singing all around town in my in Elk City, Oklahoma, doing like church things or school things or little plays and singing country music. And um, she, I walked in her door and she kind of just ripped me back to to like the original shreds. She said, "Absolutely, we're starting from scratch." And I really resisted that because you come in having been the the big fish in the little pond at your high school, you know. Uh, and, and you say, well, wait a second, I know what I'm doing. And, and uh, in the best way possible, because I know I didn't quit. I didn't give up on her. I stayed. She kind of uh, broke me down to build me back up again vocally and emotionally. Um, so that, that ego or whatever I came in with kind of had to be checked at the door. Um, so that when, you know, I don't think I'd ever expressed a song until I met her. Like uh, communicate, you know, she always calls her, her technique singing on pitch. Uh, I mean, speaking on pitch. So you're speaking, you're not singing. And um, I don't think I'd ever really done that uh, so fully until I met her and really understood what lyrics mean, monologuing a song before you ever sing it, uh, which is what she did so beautifully. And um, 
you know, that that truth in that is, I think, what kind of sets people apart. I think people think of singing as this kind of lovely noise, and uh, I always think of it as, as full of words. Can you share anything for us a little bit? Something, <laughs> something come to mind where the storytelling takes over and you're not so conscious of hitting those notes? You know, it's so interesting. Um, there are so many. There are so many songs that I, I sing, and, and she's all over them in my head. Um, but I, this is so interesting, but one time I, I watched her give a speech to some other teachers, and she started to recite uh, the national anthem. <laughs> and, you know, some people started looking at each other. And she, you know, by this time her voice had had, uh, she had gone through some trouble, and, but she said, Oh, say, can you see? And then she stopped. And the, they're like, what is she singing? Why is she singing? By the dawn's early light. And all of a sudden, you, you kind of start to see the sun coming up over the hills, you know. What so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming. You know, and all of a sudden, you're, 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 you're seeing, like, soldiers, and you're seeing why people fought in wars. You're seeing purple mountains, like if you go to the northeast or the northwest and you think, why did someone write these the these songs? What were they looking at? And all of a sudden you see it for the first time. She did the whole thing and there wasn't you could hear a pin drop. Because people don't listen to the song anymore. And it could be that or anything. You could it could be happy birthday to you and you're listening to it in a way you never listen to it. But especially when it comes down to lyrics. And uh elongating a word and or seeing it yourself and that's the kind of thing she kind of teaches you whether she's making you say how now brown cow or singing something as simple as a folk song she's uh she's making you see it in a new light and and it makes you uh, take everything seriously and by doing that is when the fun starts to happen you know, she. I think she also probably gave you a lot of grit. I heard a, a really interesting story, actually, of how, um, you know, you were in Boston and I guess weren't feeling well and had lost your voice and basically were going to go on no matter what. Mm -hmm. And, um, it, you know, her daughter was at that performance at the Sanders Theater and she said, and she'd seen you perform a lot, and she actually said it was one of the greatest performances she'd ever seen you. And because because you relied on really some of that raw technique, to you, you weren't afraid to actually just go ahead and say the words. Yeah, you know what? What I what I learned from Mrs. Bertle, that's Robin, her daughter, who I'm very close with and I love very much. Uh, what I what I learned from her because of her own vocal problems that she had as a young woman and taught herself to speak again and to sing again through elongated uh, speaking um, is that it's not it's not always about this perfect bel canto kind of sound. It's about communicating a feeling, a thought. And um, in moments like that, or I just had a Carnegie Hall, my solo debut, and I was sick as a dog. And I said, I'm, I'm either taking this opportunity and going out and, and communicating something with that audience, uh, or I'm a quitter. And I, you know, I did the best I could. It's not the perfect sound that I wanted, but I still meant everything I said. And I walked away from it pretty proud, and that definitely comes from her. Now back to our conversation with Kristen Chenoweth and a glimpse of what it was like to train with Miss Birdwell, a notorious taskmaster, but one who always had her students' best interests at heart. Let's let's go back a little bit and talk about some of those years when you were with her. And I, I wanted to, to talk about if there was a favorite story you had with her um, when, when she was teaching you, because she was known to be quite tough. Mm -hmm. Yes. I was singing an Italian aria. And with Miss Birdwell, you had to know every single piece of Italian. I mean, if it's a, the the mio, the eo of mio, you had to know. Like she, had, you had to break it down. And I was singing. Uh, I think it was a pieta signore, and I couldn't remember a part of the song. She said, "We'll break it down. What's it mean?" And I couldn't tell her. And she said, "Well, go look it up." So I looked it up, and I came back, and I had it. And in our room, we had a tiny little window we had for master class, which is every day on every Wednesday at 4. 
And somebody was out there in that window and caught my attention during this moment. And she said, what's so interesting out, out there? I said, nothing, nothing, sorry. So I started again, and dang it if I didn't look out the window again. And she said, what is what is out there? And I said, nothing, nothing. I don't I don't know why I keep looking. She goes, well, you're not in the moment. I said, okay, 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 okay. So I started again, and I it was like a child that's been told not to do something then has to. I kept looking out that window the, the final time, and she said, stop, 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 stop. What's so interesting? I said, I don't know. I, I keep thinking I see something. And she said, well, you can sit down until you find this interesting. We won't need to hear from you again. Oof. It's a fine line with boundaries between her and I because the truth is she's like my mother. And, you know, we're not supposed to do that, but she is. <laughs> And I was in her studio, and I was singing Rizalka's Song to the Moon, and very difficult aria, and just had ended it with my first fiancé and knew that this career was going to require a little bit more than being a baseball player's wife and was singing it, and I couldn't. I could not phonate. She said, what's wrong, child? I said, I can't phonate. I can't make sound. And she said, then you shouldn't sing. And I said, but I have to, I'm NASA's next week or something. She said, let's talk about it. I talked to her about my boyfriend and how I'd ended it. And she said, she was glad I did it <laughs> because I have other things to do. And she said, you'll, you'll phone eight tomorrow. You'll sing tomorrow and you'll sing better than you ever have. But you go home tonight and cry. Hmm. Tell us, you know, how you took what you learned and, you know, how you made the decision to uh, pursue the next step in your career. Um, by this point, you'd been very classically well-trained. Um, she, of course, was a very good uh, teacher in that regard. And I understand that initially when you were, after you graduated, you were uh, contemplating a career in opera. Yeah, she she wanted it so badly for me. Um no one from my university had made, maybe two people had made the Academy of Vocal Arts in Philadelphia. And when, you, when you're accepted there, people like Domingo are your teachers, mm -hmm. and at the time, Phil. <laughs> and they take about seven people a year, and, and they pick two people to have full scholarships, and I was one of them. And my, my only problem is my heart had always been drawn to <laughs> New York. Um, my best friend moved to, to um, New York City, and I went with him for fun. This was about two weeks before my program started. Um, anyway, I, I went to an audition in New York with my friend Denny. It was for the Animal Crackers at Paper Mill Playhouse, just for fun. But it was at the Equity Building, which I wasn't a member of, so I waited nine hours to be seen. Mm. And finally, the guy at the end goes, you're still here. And I said, yeah, I just wanted to experience an audition. I went in, and they said, can you tap? And I I had my tap shoes, just like I'd been taught, have mm -hmm. everything with you. I did a little routine, and they taught me some more. And he said, can you sing? This was the director, Charlie Repoli. And I said, yeah, and I sang Somebody Somewhere from The Most Happy Fella. And... They were dead silent. <laughs> they said, who are you? Who are you? And I said, oh, I'm nobody. <laughs> I'm just here for an, to experience an audition. And they go, well, well, when did you get here? I said, well, today? I mean, yesterday. Well, who's your agent? And I said, I don't, I mean, you could call my dad, I guess. I don't really have an agent. <laughs> and they, uh, they took my, my dad's number down and Charlie said, what are your plans? And I said, well, I'm going to ABA to be an opera singer. And he pulled up a chair. And I sat down and he said, I would like to discuss with you your next decision. Wow. You are a character, but you're an ingenue. But you sing like that, but you can build. You can really dance, and you're a fantastic actress. 
you should not. You should rethink your decision. Broadway needs hmm. performers like you. Wow. I said, I know. I feel like I'm doing the wrong thing. And he said, I want you to think about it. But to help you, we're, we're going to offer you a role. We've been looking for four months. And that's the end of some one thing and the beginning of another. This Burbo didn't speak to me for about a year. Oh, see, that's what I was going to ask. I wondered, I wondered what she thought about that. She didn't talk to me for a year. And then um, there's a theater in Boston, and you guys would be able to help me out. As North Shore, maybe? North Shore Music Theater. Yeah, I think it's I outside had, Boston, yeah. Yeah, I have been offered Christine in Phantom. And I thought that that kind of job would make her happy. So after a year, I called her the night before I went on, like two minutes. And I said, it's me. It's two minutes before I go on. It's Christine. And I thought you'd like to know. And she said, oh, Kristen. That's better. That's better. That's more what you should be doing. That's better. And I said, I thought you'd like that, and I thought you'd want to know, and we made up after that. Then it was all over. You know, then I was back with her. I think with me, she said, I never really had to teach you how to sing a song. I just had to prepare you for the world because, you know, I'm from a tiny town in Oklahoma, and... I was just didn't, I was naive, and she toughened me up a lot. And I'm still not very tough, but, but I'm tougher than mm. I was. Now, back to my conversation with Kelly O'Hara and what Miss Birdwell has ultimately meant to her. You said that she's played many roles for you. Um, she's been your therapist, your <laughs> acting teacher, your music teacher, um, and, and really your life teacher. Talk to me a little bit about that. You know, I, I have some pretty incredible parents. I, I won't, you know, just shuffle them away. They were great, but uh, they I had them until I was 18. And when I was 18, I had no idea. I had them in western Oklahoma. I had no idea what I, what I meant to do with my life except having some sort of music in it. Here's a woman who... Uh, the kind of expression, the kind of feeling she had about emotions, about how free emotions can flow and it still be a positive thing, how to use anger and sadness and joy in such heavy, big ways um, to promote not only your professional life but also your personal life. Uh, when I met her, I was in that place where I needed direction. And she uh, she allowed me to have my own growth. It's not like she crawled up and crawled up inside me and and you know I spoke for me. What she did was she she kind of pulled everything out of me. And uh, even and I still you know even if there's a wall up, I I still hear her in my mind. You know uh, who gives a you know crap? You know this is communicate something, say something, do something. You know grow some backbone and do it and uh and I needed that I needed that and not everything is perfect and that's what she taught me would be okay you know along those lines I I sort of asked her what it was like to you know to be a music teacher and what she was trying to convey to her students and this is what she said I had to become a person before I became a music teacher I had to believe in what I wanted to teach them was far beyond just music, far beyond just being a music teacher. It has to do with your life. It has to do with what you want to share with the world. Now, you think that's pretty. Yes, that's pretty. But what do those words mean? What did those words mean? And that's what you're here to do. You're here to teach meanings of things. Not you, not your voice, not your everything, but what is your message? Find your message in your song. If you're singing a song without a message, you shouldn't sing the song. I think that's uh, probably a good lesson for, for life in general, huh? I mean, for whatever you're doing, you know, doing a podcast, it, it should have a message, a meaning of something, you know? I mean, I think there's a lot to to learn from her. Yeah. Oh, so much. I mean, I think if you, it's not about leaving your mark. I mean, especially today, you, you know, you feel like any, any press is good press or any bit of any way to be famous would be a good thing. She's saying, find out 
what positive or what, what mark you can make that's lasting and, and worth something and make that. And don't worry so much about, about, you know, quick fixes or anything like that. I mean, do something that means something that can be lasting. She's also saying that as a teacher, and I, this is what's really important about her, um, she, she did talk about life. You know, I, a lot of kids ask me, like, what do you study and what did you, how did you get where you are or whatever it is? And, you know, I think to myself, all you kids that are in dance class and music class and nothing else are going to just then go into the professional world of doing just the same thing. You have to have a full life in and around and before and after your professional career. And that makes the professional one that much richer because you bring – we're not playing – singer, actor, dancers, we're playing people, usually real people, um, on the stage. And so how can you be those people unless you have experienced life and experienced lots of different personalities and, and learned lots of lessons? And, and she was one of those people that just observed people, um, and she was able to get at things so easily and then transfer and help you understand them. And then to learn yourself so that you can kind of move it aside so you can let new things in. Um, she was pretty special that way. And she really continued on in your life. I mean, after you left school, I mean, she was somebody you call on the phone every once in a while, bring up, get a lesson. Absolutely. We had phone lessons. She flew to Chicago for my first run of Light in the Piazza to get to work with me. Um, she she has come to New York so many times, and we have a lesson, um, and I'll go home. I, I You know, we don't as much anymore, but every time I'm with her, the one thing that really zeroes her in is she'll start talking about the voice. We'll just be sitting there talking, and she'll say, ah. And that means for me to say, ah. She just wants to hear where it is. She wants to know that I know where it is and uh, what her there, there, whatever that is, the place. She wants us to connect with that. We go back to it. Does she get excited to see how it's grown over the years? Oh, yes. But, you know, the, the thing about her is that she, she takes none of it seriously. I mean, I could literally be... I mean, like Carnegie Hall, but she's thinking, she's saying to herself, to, to me, she says, really? Well, how did you sing? Like, what is that? Like, she doesn't care about the, the fanfare. She cares about the, that tiny little important thing, which is the singing. So it's almost as if you had the very best sound ever come out of your mouth in Elk City in front of 12 people, and mm -hmm. that was the best performance you ever gave in your life. It doesn't matter about Carnegie no, Hall. it doesn't matter where. It could be in my shower, but, it, but it's about the real connection and the real, the real use of the technique, and the, that's all she cares about. It could be in her living room, her studio. Um, those are the most exciting moments for her. Something about the top 1%, they, se they seem to stumble into it no matter what. But where do you think you would be had you never met Florence Birdwell? You're just going to get an emotional person when you talk about her for me. So I'm just going to be full-time emotional today. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to answer it because I'm not going to even think about it. I can't. She's that important to you. Yeah. No, I don't. It's it's better for me in my life not to imagine a life without it. It's like my children. I won't imagine my life without them, and I won't imagine my life without her. But she's so much a part of every performance you do now. Every single one. So, uh, you know, she's... I don't know why I got so lucky to... to uh, or whatever you want to call it, to, to know of her when I was five and to have a, a vision that came from nowhere because nobody in my family are artists, to go find her, to study with her, to take her with me um, physically and emotionally at times. But I don't know why, but I'm, I'm not going to question it because it's, it's who, what it is. And finally, we return to our conversation with Kristen Chenoweth and some final thoughts on her teacher, mentor, life coach, Florence Birdwell, and how she's trying to share Miss Birdwell's craft with the next generation. You know, in particular, did she teach you something about life not just maybe the resilience that she brought out in you. You said you were a bit insecure, as many performance stars. Anything else on a larger level that uh, she instilled in you that, you know, sort of goes with you every day of your life? Yeah, it seemed very trite and very easy. But she said to me, Kristen, you're, you have a lot of different gifts. And all I ask of you is that Whatever it is you're doing, you do that thing only. You have a brain that can do work on many things at once, but you'll find that that won't please you. 
you must must concentrate on the one thing that you're doing and do that thing. Then when you move that on from that, then you go to the next thing and you do that thing. Does that make sense? Yes, of course. I mean, uh, we live in a multitasking world, but now we're reading more and more that we aren't really capable of multitasking if we're going to do uh, the things that are important to us very well. Mm-hmm. Sounds like she really instilled right. that wisdom in you. Um, we want to, you know, Kelly O'Hara will be talking later. Unfortunately, we couldn't get you both together. but uh, And you didn't actually cross over with her when you were studying with Florence Birdwell. Um, but I know that you've become friends. She was a little uh, after you yeah. coming to New York and starting her career, and I understand that you've you know had some friendship and you've been very welcoming to her. Very. I wanted my agents to hear her, um, my then agents to hear that her, because I knew that she was great, and um, so I was able to set up a meeting for uh, my agents. I rent a studio, and they came, and I said, because I'm one of those that when talent is talent, and I want OCU and Miss Birdwell to live on, you know? Mm-hmm. And, of course, she came in and sang, and, of course, they took her immediately. I felt very honored to be have been a part of that. It's almost in a way like um, because Florence meant so much to you to know that there was another shining star in in some ways it was to honor your teacher in a way, wasn't it? To take another student under your wing? Yes. That's exactly right. And if I went, I thought, man, I wish I'd had somebody like that that I could just check in with. And, you know, her career was busy like mine. So when we see each other, it was just nothing but unspoken love, you know, that we knew, because we know. <laughs> we know. You give master classes and uh, do some musical theater work, a uh, boot camp, I think it's been called, back in Oklahoma. Um, yeah. Is that a way of repaying, you know, Florence for what she did to you? Are you able to, you know, take her insights and add your own? And is this something that's very important to you? You know, Charles, I was listening to what y'all were talking about, Ms. Rubble saying about what's your message. And my whole singing life I've heard from her, what's your message? How are you going to be remembered? It's not just about you showing up to do Candide and that your Candide, lots of things happened before you got there. So how, do you want to be, how are you going to leave it? And when Broken Arrow got a performing arts school, Someone died finally and gave us a lot of money, <laughs> and they named the theater. They named the theater the Channel of Theater. Her words rang in my head so loud when it happened. I just, I couldn't even sleep. It was like, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? And so this summer is our third summer arts camp of singing, acting, and dancing for a week. And this this year I have. Um, um, Mary Mitchell Campbell, and I have Richard J. Alexander, and Kathy and Jimmy. I have lots of great um, artists coming to teach, and Faith Prince is going to be there all week for wow. me. And we're 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 doing it, and I'm taking it to a whole new level. And um, eventually, we'll be going to China to perform. And every year, I will do a I do I do a master class for um, high school and high high school and college students that want to do what I do and it's the way I'm it's it'll be my legacy Mm. so you know my dream you know the theater is state-of-the-art believe it or not um there's there's nothing much else there (laughs) except a football field naturally what else (laughs) yeah right (laughs) and I'm just I just I just want to grow grow it and grow it and grow it and this will be this will be um how I'm remembered right here. So, And, you know, if we can go to the large picture again of your remarkable career, it, it could have taken so many different turns and fortunately it took many, many, many good ones. Where do you think you might be right now if you had never had the chance to study with Ms. Birdwell? Um, you probably can't imagine such a thing, but have you ever pondered it and, you know, had some yeah. revelations? Yeah, in fact, I'm writing about it right now um, because I'm writing uh, my own show, believe it or not. 
uh, I, I, I'm scared to even say it because it's, it probably won't be very good, but um, because of my adoption and because of the way I was raised, I'm sort of writing what it could have been like and what it is like. And I think um, baby girl, that's what I call me in the other life, I think baby girl would have had it tough. I think probably because country music was so ingrained in me and Dolly Dolly and Trisha and Patsy were, Linda, they were all such big influences in me and would have been more uh, if I'd been raised in another way. I probably would be a country music singer. Mm -hmm. I probably would be playing in bars everywhere from here to Tallahassee. And, you know, I'm not sure what kind of life. Uh, I, I would have had a trained life, but just trained more at home, you know, probably not at school. So my life would be very different. Well, it's hardly, it's hard to imagine uh, a more rewarding one from this perspective. We'd like to thank you yes. so much for being here. Um, as expected, you've been so frank and funny and charming. And uh, we look forward, at least I certainly look forward to everything you do next because uh, you continue to surprise us, and uh, you have such a you know singular combination of gifts. There's you know it's a cliche, but you are sort of one of a kind in the, your ability to uh, be such a spontaneous seeming comedian, but of course that that marvelous voice, the classically trained voice, the combination of that is is one I have rarely if ever found before. And uh, I wish you all the best, as I'm sure Brad does. Oh, yes, it's great. And you have such a nice emotional core, too. I mean, you, you really do kind of hold it on your shirt sleeves there. And it's it's so nice to see that you're willing to share that. So I think the thank little girl's done, done quite well. Yes. <laughs> oh, thank you. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate that I will be able to have this podcast and have her voice and Kelly's voice in combination with mine as this memory for all of us. Um, thank you for for uh, having the wherewithal and the smarts to do it. It's It was just sitting there, and someone did it, and that's you guys. So thank you. Thank you. You're more than welcome. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to Fox News Podcast shows ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or follow wherever you get your podcasts.